U.S. psychologist Becky Kennedy is the author of Good Inside, a guide to becoming a parent you want to be. It's intended as a resource for parents, including tips on how to foster confidence and resilience in their children. Dr. Becky Kennedy has 1.6 million Instagram followers. Her Instagram account gained hugely in popularity during the COVID-19 lockdown measures as people had to adapt to pandemic parenting. Uh, Her Instagram postings and book cover offer a range of common scenarios such as dealing with separation anxiety, tantrums and sibling rivalry. Uh, Welcome Becky, great to have you with us. Thank you so much for having me, excited to be talking with you. The Instagram connection is really interesting because one of the points that you make is not trying to be a perfect parent and not thinking that what you see on Instagram is the way anyone else is experiencing, experiencing parenting. I'm so glad you're starting with that because, you know, I think there's it's just like a common fear out there. Like, okay, there are people who have parenting guidance or there's a parenting book. Is this about trying to make parents perfect? Does that make parents more anxious? But I really do believe core to the good inside approach is the foundation that there are no such thing as perfect parents. It doesn't exist. I'm not a perfect parent. Nobody I know is a perfect parent because we're humans and not robots. And so things like repair, things like struggling, things like are being triggered and overwhelmed, that's all kind of considered to be part of the arc of being a parent. And we always talk about that head on. Also, this is as much about understanding what you are experiencing and feeling and communicating as it is about having that kind of understanding with your child. And there's some really interesting examples, including a 14-year-old who finally, let's rip at one point, um, in one of the stories that you tell. This is not about um, discipline procedures or behavioural change procedures. It's a fundamental approach to understanding what's happening with yourself and with your child and for each party in their own way to learn to communicate that. Yeah, you know, I think that we've been fed this model of parenting that feels awful to everyone involved, doesn't work, and also doesn't consider what we know to be true, which is that the way we interact with our kids when they're young is going to impact them later on. Like nobody debates that. So when our kid, let's say, I don't know, hits their sibling, of course they need us to step in. Of course they need us to set a boundary. Not because they're a bad kid, but because they're a good kid having a hard time. They need us to stop them to protect them. But then if we say, go to your room, no TV for a week, right? What we're really saying to them is, I have no way to help you. I don't know how to give you skills to help you change. All I'm going to do when you're having a hard time is add blame and shame and distance. And I think if we're all honest with ourselves as adults, forget that we're no longer as dependent on other people as kids are. Even as adults, in your close relationships, when you're having a hard time, the idea that the person who is there to love you and comfort you actually would send you away or punish you. I just don't know anyone who would willingly want to be in that relationship. And so when we look at the long-term you know, relationship we're going to have with our kids, when we look at what in adulthood is actually going to help them, it's figuring out, yes, how to set boundaries, but side by side, how to always see the good kid under the bad behavior and to actually think about how to help our kids build real skills that they're missing 
because they're so young. And those are the same skills they'll have and need for the rest of their lives. This isn't, as we said, about permissive parenting per se. It's not about failing to intervene when someone's thumping someone else or stealing someone else's toys. It's actually about problem solving. And also what I found really interesting was taking that moment before you intervene to problem solve because the first person you're dealing with is is yourself and your own reaction. Alongside this age appropriately, you're also modelling that to the child in the situation. Can you give us some examples for different ages? Yes, absolutely. Right. So I, I love everything you said there. And for anyone listening to me, it's really similar how we teach a kid how to swim right? Kids don't know how to swim. And a lot of people think it's important for my kid to learn how to swim, but we don't punish them for not swimming. And because they can't swim, it's not like we throw them into the ocean. We say, okay, we're going to start small. We're going to build skills. It's going to take time to develop. And then slowly they'll become a stronger swimmer so that they can do something like swimming in the ocean. We teach them skills. We don't punish them for not having skills. So let's take that example of, you know, whacking your sibling. Your five-year-old and your three-year-old are playing with blocks. And all of a sudden you see your five-year-old, you know, grab the block from their sibling's hand, push them over or something like that. You're right. Nothing about good inside is permissive. Step one is actually getting in between your kids to make sure the danger doesn't happen again. I might say something like this. I'm not going to let you hit your brother. I won't let you hit. I won't let you push your brother. And I'm actually going to do that while I'm in between my kids because what I'm then saying to both kids is I am here. I am your pilot through this turbulence. You are children, so you seem to not yet have the skill to manage wanting something and not having it. That is frustrating. So I will protect everyone. Then maybe I'd say to one of my kids, ouch, that hurt. I'm sorry. And I'd say to my other kid, instead of go to your room, I might say, You really want that block. I know it's so hard to want a block and not be able to have it. I get it. I'm going to sit with you. We're going to get through it. Maybe the next day, and this is what's key, I think, and what we do a lot of good inside is I'd say to that kid, hey, you know what we're going to do? I'm going to play blocks with you today. And I'm going to have your favorite big rectangle block. And I want us to practice taking a deep breath and you moving your body away from me. Because the next time you want something, if you take a deep breath and move your body away, guess what? You won't end up hitting the person. And then I'd actually practice that just the way we practice swimming with kids in a training pool. Now let's fast forward a number of years. Maybe some listeners are like, all right, my kid's 14. We're not talking about blocks. We're talking about, I hate you. Why can't I be on my phone? You know, all the fun things teenagers do. So again, I would say, let's say there's a situation my kid says, um, can I have a sleepboard tonight? Can I go to my friend's house? All my friends are sleeping there for whatever reason. They have a basketball game in the morning. I'm just too tired to do it. My kid's been having a lot of sleepovers. I say some version of, oh, buddy, like, I know that's such a bummer not to be able to, you know, go be with your friends. Tonight just doesn't work for a sleepover. And then even though I've handled this intervention beautifully, I have a 14-year-old who says back to me, I hate you. You're the worst mom in the world. You understand nothing. You're ruining my life. Something like that, Right. Now, I could say, you go to your room. You can't talk to me that way. But if I want to actually be effective, then I would choose something else. And I might say, whoa, whoa, there's a lot going on right now. I know you can say all that to me in another way. And I also know that something about not going to the sleepover must feel really big and bad for you to be this upset. So look, I just I need to take some deep breaths over there. Maybe you need to cool off. And then let's come back together because, look, I'm on your team. 
on your team doesn't mean giving you every single thing you want, but on your team means I actually will always be willing to listen and understand to get a better sense of what's going on for you. You're modeling and teaching emotion regulation, but also problem solving. Um, and um, again, and, and you don't shy away from this. The starting point is often the parent. Um, as I often like to say, we're, yes. we're, we're adults are just children in, in, in grown-ups' bodies. Um, so you've got to first mm-hmm. react to, to your own. And, and none of this is going to go perfectly, right? But it's something that you work on over time. Let's stay with the 14-year-old because I, I'm just trying to find, and I can't now, the example of the 14-year-old who at some point, you know, has been parented a certain way, undoubtedly loved, but something explodes in this 14-year-old and they basically say to the parent, you've never been interested in my feelings and so on and so on it goes. And mm-hmm. this comes back to what you were saying earlier. Um, I think it relates also to this idea of distracting from hard things or pivoting and avoiding hard things and actually confronting them and acknowledging feelings. Can you just pick yes. up on that? a little bit more how at each age the first step is I get how you feel or I'm, I'm hearing yeah. how you feel. So I think we're, I, this is such an amazing conversation. I love how like deep and then also concrete we're going. It's so good to do both things. So I think the first step actually is kind of what you said before, right? The only reason we'd be unable to kind of listen to our kid and try to understand our kid in any moment, even in a moment where they say, you've never understood anything about me, is because to some degree, we take in their words about us as an insinuation that we're just a bad parent. That's actually the only reason we get defensive in any conversation is we hear something someone says about us and we take it in as a complete character assault in a very big way. So my kid says, you know, you've never listened to me. And it really feels like they're saying you're a horrible, cold, awful mother who doesn't know what they're doing, right? Even though they didn't say that, but it feels like that. (laughs) And if we don't manage that feeling and that interpretation, then no amount of memorizing any script or any strategy will do us any good. So even realizing that can be an aha moment. So what I would say for any parent is truly to memorize this mantra, like I'm a good parent and this is a tricky moment. And in that way, you're really separating the moment from your goodness as a person. Because as soon as your goodness feels called into question, you will not listen to anything your child is saying. You will become extremely defensive and angry because you feel like you have to defend yourself at all costs. I'm a good parent, and this is a tricky moment. I'm a good parent, and this is a tricky moment. I would then get a little bit of composure to then be able to separate the words my child is saying from my identity. And because I've separated that, I've preserved my good identity. I can actually be curious. That's the word I would say is so important in these hard moments. Can I activate curiosity? Because I can go into logic. That's ridiculous. I've asked you about your feelings, but that's not what's going on for my child. My child has some emotional reality that they're trying to express to us. They can't do it well. So they say the grandiose thing, like you've never listened to me, but just because that thing on the surface isn't factually correct, That doesn't mean there isn't a very kind of real feeling that's worthy of being known. So we'll go back to that moment. You know, I hate you. You've never cared about my feelings. You know, I say to myself, I'm a good parent. This is a tricky moment. I'd say that to myself or maybe I'd say to my kid, I just need a moment. Trust me, this is important. I'll come back to you. And I kind of soothe myself and then I'd come back and then I'd want to say this. Something like, I'm really glad you're talking to me about this. That's really important for me to know. Even though in my head, I'm like, I don't think that's true. I'm not prioritizing the exact words 
I'm prioritizing the feeling that led to those words. Tell me more. Wow, that must feel awful. Wow, I believe you. That's something between us feels so bad. Tell me more about it. And I'm actually joining my kid. I'm connecting to how they're feeling instead of trying to prove them wrong or prove my perspective. This is also about acknowledging what what is going on and and confronting. And and children growing up today um, with the virtual impossibility of filtering them from the repetitive challenges of the world, the desire to sort of, you know, protect and um, uh, wait till they are older for them to be confronted with something like climate change, for example, or a war in Ukraine or, or anything else. It, 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 it can't be done. So explain about the difference between distracting from a situation and moving on from a situation and appropriately leaving room for conversations to happen on something like climate change. How, how do you know what to say and when? Such a good question. So, you know, the former kind of situation, the like, when, when should I distract or like, when is it too much? It's funny. I actually feel like that side of things usually isn't the issue with kids as much as the opposite, which is, Hey, will someone actually talk to me about what I notice and what's going on around me? Can someone actually put words to this and help me sit with my questions and my feelings and the unknowns. So something I tell parents a lot is information doesn't scare kids as much as the absence of information scares kids. What's terrifying to a child is noticing changes in their environment, noticing words people are saying, noticing articles they're reading in the newspaper, and then being alone, kind of like alone in the dark. Like, why is nobody talking to me. I keep hearing climate change, climate change, or I keep hearing death, cancer, Aunt Maud, death, cancer, Aunt Maud, funeral. And people think, I'm not going to talk to my kid about climate change, or I'm not going to talk to my kid about death. They're so young. My kid has already picked up on all of the pieces of the puzzle. They just can't put it together. And that is so anxiety provoking for a child to be left to their own devices, as opposed to have an adult who they feel safe with kind of just sit in a difficult reality with them. I think all of us at any age actually appreciate people naming hard truths to us if it's in the context of a loving, safe relationship. And so I think that gives us permission to say, you know, my kid is picking up on this or it's okay to talk about this. And the answer to my kid's questions is probably the truthful answer. My kid can tell when I'm beating around the bush. Now, on the flip side, I'll say, if you have a kid and you're thinking, no, 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 that's not the problem, Dr. Becky. We talk about it all the time. They're up at night. They, I think we're talking about something else. We're saying, okay, my child has a hard time shifting from a worry and kind of giving themselves permission to still function and live in life. Um, I would say that's almost a different category than whether or not we should talk to our kids. If that is happening, then I think it would be really good to get some strategies to help your kid manage those kind of anxiety thoughts. And probably if that's happening, your kid has other anxious thoughts that they have a hard time kind of letting go of or where they just kind of grip them, in which case isn't really about climate change in the first place and is about their relationship with their own feelings and thoughts. Another, um, I've got a couple of questions here, but another really interesting point you make is um, when parents argue, and again, you can just kind of avoid the situation and hope everybody forgets it and moves on. But again, you model fronting up and saying, you heard us arguing, that probably felt scary, here's what's going on. Um, yes. Maybe not the whole shebang of what's going on. But 
it is, as you say, filling that void in the young person, whatever their age, filling that void in what they've experienced and then not had any information about. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a great example where, again, if we come to, okay, kids are not afraid of explanation. They're not afraid of information. They're afraid of being alone and noticing changes around them and being alone to try to understand that, not having an adult give them what I call like a coherent story. You know, I don't think anyone trusts a five-year-old to hear arguing, to hear loud voices and be like, you know what? My five-year-old is just going to be excellent at explaining to themselves (laughs) that what happened. Like no one would do that, right? It's just so overwhelming. So yes, going to your kid and saying, hey, I think you heard us yelling. You were, I love this line. I think it's so confidence inspiring. You were right to notice that. Like basically you're saying that really did happen. You didn't make that up. And then give them a story. You know, sometimes when adults love each other, they also can get into arguments with each other. Some quest- sometimes when, yeah. So just some questions, Becky, just to finish, just as succinctly as you can. Thank you, because there's lots yep. more in the book. Um, I, I love the bit about tantrums. Your job is to basically keep your child safe. No one's going to logic their way through that one. There's, there's, there's lots yep. and lots of practical tips. This one, what do you do when a child repeatedly hurts, repeatedly hurts and annoys a younger sibling for no reason? Nearly five-year-old brother continuously targets one of his one-year-old twin sisters. I think we have to make a shift in the question. Um, and I would upgrade the question to, I wonder what's going on for my five-year-old that leads to these repeated kind of hostile interactions. As soon as you assume there's no reason, we're in a me against my child mode. As soon as you assume there is a reason, now we can activate curiosity. So I think that would be the framework shift. And then I would think, you know, there must be something in the sibling dynamic that feels so bad where my child maybe feels so threatened, so replaced, so uneasy in the family system with this other child And that uneasiness probably gets expressed. We obviously have to stop the damage. We have to figure out how to get ahead of it. And then we do. We have to get to the bottom of that and help our kid build skills to manage that frustration without acting out. I would tell that family to check out my sibling dynamics workshop. It'll take you through all that step by step. How do I avoid bribes and incentives to get preschoolers to do things, asks Alice. I think this involves a totally a big shift in your whole system. The more bribes and rewards we use, the more kids think that the only reason they do things is to get bribes and rewards, right? So we have to kind of start with our kids saying, hey, I'm not going to do this whole kind of bribes and rewards things anymore. Here's why. You know, in our family, we just value taking care of our stuff. We value cleaning up. We also value having fun. And those are things that we're just all each going to do. And so this week, when I asked you to clean up, I don't know. I'm going to make it a little more fun. There's not going to be a reward. We'll figure out what happens together if it doesn't happen the first time. But I just know you're a kid who also can take care of their stuff. And I know we're going to make this transition together. And one more. uh, I have a gifted, hyperverbal, nearly seven-year-old. I'd love to know how to stem the constant stream of consciousness without dampening his love of words and language, but also being able to set some boundaries around this. Great. This to me is the core idea of family jobs, which I go into in my book. And the way I'd apply family jobs here is just remember, I'm allowed to set boundaries and my kid's allowed to have feelings, right? So what I'd say is, hey, I want to tell you something. Sometimes you have so many different thoughts, so many questions, so many words you want to say and ask about. That is an amazing thing about you. You love to think and learn and hear something about me. Sometimes I need times where I'm quiet 
where no one's talking, where I'm not answering questions. So there might be a moment coming up when your busy brain is working and I say to you, ooh, now is one of those times I'm not going to answer any more questions. And that might be a time you take all your busy thoughts and your amazing brain and think about a project or something to build. And then after some time, I would want to come check out what you had done. Becky, thank you very much. Uh, Dr. Becky Kennedy, and the book is Good Inside, A Guide to Becoming the Parent You Want to Be. You can also find her on Instagram.